You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton Bailey. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And um, we're excited about the show today. Got a pretty good one lined up here for you. Um, obviously, we're heading into uh, week three against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So what we're going to do on today's show, we're actually going to hear from uh, Aaron Rodgers, we're going to hear from Coach Matt LaFleur, and we're also going to touch on the injury report, get a little update on the injuries. Again, this is just the injury report from Wednesday. You should be listening to this go live uh, by noon on Thursday. So we'll have Wednesday's uh, injury report before the Thursday one comes out. And uh, what we're going to do on the back half of the show is we're actually going to game plan for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Okay, We're going to kind of give you a breakdown of their entire coaching staff from an offensive and defensive coordinator standpoint. Obviously, the head coach we're going to hit on. We're going to talk about what their numbers looked like last year, maybe some things that they adjusted this year, and we're going to give you a complete game plan of how we think the Green Bay Packers should attack this Tampa Bay offense here early in the season with week three. You know, Once we get beyond week four, we're going to start utilizing data from this season, but it's such a – uh, such a minimal amount, right, of info that we have from this current season that we're in that uh, it really it would be counter counterproductive to try to use that information too much. So we're going to kind of go back to last year, see what they did well, see what they didn't do so well, and devise a game plan. And uh, I got to be uh, got to be real about it, man. Um, we've done pretty good with this. You know, we've now done uh, you know week one against the Vikings, the game plan we put together. We had it all over the. <laughs> all over plastered all over the game plan that we put together here at Packers total access. We said, Hey, look, you've got to stop Justin Jefferson. Do not let Justin Jefferson beat you. Lo and behold, we let Justin Jefferson beat us. Right. <laughs> and there was a lot of other details that we covered, you know, week two against the bears there last week, nice victory that the Packers got. We were screaming, you got to pound the rock. You've got to get 30 plus touches. I think we came away with 37 touches, maybe 38 touches. So, Game plan accomplished there. We also kept Justin Fields in the pocket for the most part of the night, and um, that game plan, you know, proved to be uh, very successful. Now we also talked about loading the box to stop the run. David Montgomery ran the ball really, really well, but it was bend but don't break. It worked out in the end. 
So today we're going to take a shot at game planning against the, the current Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It'll be a lot of fun. Then we're going to wrap up with a quick video from The Rock, Larry McCarron, just talking about some special team stuff, just a real quick hitter before we get out of here. So um, that's kind of what's on tap. I do want to mention that today's show is brought to you by pristineauction.com. Pristine is the most trusted sports memorabilia auction site with an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. All of our listeners actually have a chance to uh, win a mini Vince Lombardi trophy signed by Jordy Nelson. That just wrapped up uh, on Monday. We'll be announcing the winner soon, so hopefully you got your name into the hat for that. But, uh, yeah, you know – if you're looking for sports memorabilia and uh, more importantly, or, or more specifically, I should say autograph, go check out pristineauction.com. They've got some awesome stuff. Um, I've bought a ton of memorabilia already. We're actually going to be giving away Packers total access is going to be giving away another um, autograph Quay Walker Jersey. And I'll be announcing the details to that. That actually came from pristine auction as well. And uh, we'll be announcing the details of that giveaway to get you guys a uh, ample amount of time to, to get your name in the hat to win that autographed Quay Walker jersey, uh, just like a listener did down there. I believe it was in – it was either Georgia or Alabama or somewhere in one of the southern states. A guy actually won uh, the first uh, Quay Walker jersey that we gave away. But, again, go over and check out pristineauction.com. Every item on pristineauction.com comes with a certificate of authenticity from the industry's most reputable authenticators. All right, let's get cranked up here. First things first, let's hear from QB1. Let's see what Aaron Rodgers had to say. Um, when he uh, met with the media yesterday, and he just hit on a couple of things, really. Uh, what, I, what I like about this interview, it took a few minutes to get through the BS, but once we got into the interview a little ways, he started talking about Tampa Bay's defense and, and more specifically their DBs. But let's see what uh, let's see what number 12 had to say about uh, Tampa Bay's uh, defensive back unit. They always kind of look similar as far as the front's going to change, the pressures are going to change, the looks are – you know, going to be a lot. Uh, there's a lot of different things they throw at you, um, but they're always adapting. And depends on personnel. You see Winfield now playing the slot, uh, where they've had, uh, you know, Murphy Bunning was playing some, some nickel for him, uh, but he's done a great job. He can play anywhere. You know, he's reminds me a lot of his dad uh, in a lot of ways. You know, he's talented at multiple positions. Can play in the slot. Can catch the ball. Can cover. And tackle, you know, just like his dad can hit. He's he's a special player. All right, so you know, Aaron was talking about those DBs, and more specifically, uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. And there, he was talking about how they're playing him in the slot a lot, and and that that really sounds dangerous to me because you got you know Levante David there in the middle, right? Been doing it for quite some time now. I believe he's 32 years old now, so he's a little bit longer in the tooth, but still a pretty solid linebacker in my opinion. I mean, he's got a lot of versatility in that regard. But, uh, yeah, when it comes to uh, DBs, Antoine Winfield's one of the best in the game, in my opinion. Very, very young, but a very, very talented player. Um, playing him in the slot kind of makes me think, okay, um, the fact that they run – and I don't want to get too much into the game plan yet. We're going to do that later in the show. But the fact that they like to run that 34 zone blitz a lot means you're typically going to have three over the top. It's very seldom you're going to run just a, just a, a cover two finish product with a blitz underneath, especially against somebody like Aaron Rodgers, he'll cut you apart. But I'm thinking that some of the outside intermediate routes may be open there, right? The intermediate game is really what stood out to me when game planning this. I just went back and watched every snap from the Buccaneers-Saints game last week twice, and what I noticed is 
Uh, Jameis Winston taking what they were giving him underneath, and then when he did take shots, it's like he got too impatient and turned the ball over. You're not going to see Aaron Rodgers do that. But one thing Jameis Winston can't do that Aaron can is really manipulate the sidelines and be able to hammer in those 10-yard out routes, those uh, those comeback routes, things like that. I think that uh, if you get a receiver deep enough into their route on the outside uh, before they make their cut, you get those corners to flip their hips. Aaron's got the arm strength and the timing, especially with Lazard, and uh, and now starting to develop that with Sammy Watkins. I think that could be that could prove to be something very vital there. But again, Aaron's not going to take the chances that Jameis Winston did. But when Jameis took chances, it just really didn't make sense. And and we'll get into that, like I said, here in a little bit. But I think it's very important to understand, you know, that Aaron Rodgers did mention, um, you know, Antoine Winfield Jr. and how. Uh, how he's playing the slot. So that's definitely something to look for there on Sunday. Who knows? They may switch it up. They may put him outside, you know. But the way it goes right now, that's how they've been playing Antoine Winfield. So, all right, let's move on to Matt LaFleur. You know, he was asked about Tampa Bay, and he really just kind of hit on Tampa Bay in general and, and how solid of a team they are. And uh, then he also kind of touched on special teams a little bit for Green Bay. But let's hear what the coach had to say here uh, on Wednesday afternoon. What does uh, the Mike Evans news do for your guys' preparation? How much we got? We got enough to worry about. Uh, they got a lot of playmakers over there, and, and really in every phase, and great coaches, and it's going to be a great challenge. So, uh, you know, we only worry about the things that we can control, and that's totally out of our control. So, I mean, it doesn't impact us at all. Yeah, I mean, I know these guys are pros, so you don't have to teach them too much. But you've had this happen a lot during your career here, where there's been a guy or two missing for a marquee opponent, and you guys have handled it without it, like, no one's been overconfident and hasn't seen. Do you, is there a key to making sure that when a piece of news like this breaks, your guys don't think anything other than focus on ourselves? Well, yeah, I mean, they're, regardless of who's out there for them, I mean, it's a heck of a challenge. It's just defensively they're loaded, offensively they're loaded. They got, you know, Tom and um, they got a lot of great athleticism on their team, and that that definitely helps their special teams. So uh, it's it's going to be quite the challenge. We know that. What's your overall assessment of the special teams unit through two games and the progress from week one to week two? I thought week one to week two was as much growth as we've had in any area. So uh, you know, our guys, you could see the effort on display. And I thought they did a better job of just everybody doing doing their 111th. And, and um, you know, I thought we did a, a pretty good job. But that's only one game, and every week's a new challenge. So we got to make sure we have a good week of preparation, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get. And I know Rich will demand that of those guys. And, uh, they gotta, and then ultimately, we've got to go out there and execute. You know, there's going to be a lot of talk about Brady and Rodgers this week, but they're, they're awfully cool. Ooh. <laughs> fairly famous quarterbacks. They're awfully different guys, though. They've been that way throughout their career. In, in your estimation, what makes each of them great? And what, what do you think is the biggest difference between them? Yeah, that's a tough question because um, I've never really been around Tom, so I don't, I don't know him like that. But obviously just all you got to do is look at, number one, their ability to win games, uh, to lead teams, and – uh, certainly, Tom's won a ton of Super Bowls, and uh, you look at the talent of, of both those guys, and um, you know it's it's not surprising as to why they're referred to as two of the greatest ever. So I think they're both great competitors. There's 
there's a lot of similarities in that regard, but as far as their differences, you know, I, I can't really speak to it without being around a guy. What do you think? All right. So the one thing that stands out to me there with what Matt LaFleur said and real, uh, I don't know, more specifically, I guess you could say his body language, Matt looked borderline irritated and in a good way. He looks dialed in. Uh, Coach LaFleur looks dialed in. I think he knows the opportunity that's in front of him here with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's a team that he struggled against since uh, taking over as head coach for the Green Bay Packers. And um, they're banged up. They are. I mean, it is what it is. But at the same time, you can tell he's not overlooking this team, and nor should he. You know, even with some of the key players that could potentially be missing from this game, um, I believe Tampa, as it sits right now, are still one-point favorites in this game. I mean, that should really tell you something. Also, you got to take into consideration that Green Bay has struggled when they went down and played in Florida, right? When they played the Saints game last year uh, at Jacksonville Stadium. When they've played in Tampa in the past, you know, that heat is no joke. You know, I live here in Tennessee. Today it got up to like, I think today it got up to 87 degrees. And there wasn't a whole lot of humidity. But, man, it takes it out of you. And, and I know this isn't a, a Weather Channel podcast, right? But <laughs> – it's worth noting that we're going down from beautiful Green Bay, right? Beautiful, sunny, clear. Um, you know, this time of year, Green Bay is just a beautiful place. It gets hot up there, too. Don't get me wrong. And there's some humidity that comes off the bay, but nothing like you see in Tampa. And I think that when you when you hear this injury list that we talk about, you know, at first glance, you would think, wow, the Packers got a real good shot of winning this ballgame. But I love Matt LaFleur's demeanor. I love that he's dialed in and he's not taking anything for granted. It's, hey, look, this is a great team. They still have Tom freaking Brady playing quarterback, right? Um, so I, I think he uh, understands the challenge that's at hand. And, you know, to be 100% transparent, the closer it gets to the game, the better I feel about this one. You know, um, I picked this as a loss. If you guys are wondering, you're, you're hearing me every week go, I picked this as a loss. I picked that one as a loss. You're probably going, man, what'd you have them pick to six, win six games? I had them picked to win 12 games. But what's great is we've already lost one that I had picked as a loss. This one's picked as a loss. If they come out with a win here, now we start teetering back into that 13 win column, right? Now it's becoming realistic to win 13 games. But again, it's so tough to go down into Tampa against that defense. They have stellar. Uh, defensive backs, some of the best defensive backs in the entire National Football League. They've got a, a solid edge rusher in Shaquille Barrett, right? They got Vita Vey in the middle, although he's struggling early this year. This could be the week that he puts it together. You never know, right? Levante David, love him or hate him, he's a, he's he's very versatile. He's someone who who fits that thirty four inside linebacker perfectly, in my opinion. Um, and he's grading out pretty well so far this year. Um, I think it's a it's a game that could be, uh, you know. I would not be surprised if the Packers lose by a couple touchdowns. I'm also not going to be surprised if the Packers win by a field goal, right, because they are banged up. Let's do that. Let's get into the injury report real quick before we take a quick break. So um, injury report on the Packers' side. Bad news right off the top. David Bakhtiari did not practice on Wednesday, okay? And, you know, they had him on a day-on, day-off type schedule. Well, he practiced last Wednesday. He did not practice today. Could be reading a little a little too much into it. Who knows? Here's what I will say. For anyone who's saying it's not a big deal that he missed practice, it's not a big deal that the video surfaced of him limping, right? And I'm not trying to pile on. I'm, I'm being realistic. I'm not the fan going, man, we paid him $50 million. He needs to be on the field. That's not me at all. Like, there is nobody 
that wants to be on wants David Bakhtiari on the field more than David Bakhtiari. Period. Case closed. I think the dude's high character. I think he's busted as you know what to try to get back, and I think it's just been one of those freak injuries. You know, it wasn't a clean ACL tear. People have got to stop talking, especially the media. Have got to stop talking like, well, you know, usually from an ACL you come back anywhere from ten to twelve. It's been proven now, time and time again, this was not just a clean ACL injury. There was other damage done within the knee that required as at least a minimum of three surgeries, possibly more. Right. So we got to get out of that that realm of thinking. But the fact that he did not participate, if if he does not go this week. Then also on the other side, people who are pretending like this was all planned and part of it need need to just shut their mouth because if this was planned, he would be on pup and he wouldn't be able to come off until after week four. That would make a lot more sense than keeping him on the active roster and tying that spot up. So I hope this was just a day off, but I'm telling you, the more time that passes, it, it, it honestly feels like David Bakhtiari um, you know, may not play for quite some time, if ever, right? And it is what it is, but we've got to mention it. David Bakhtiari did not participate. Randall Cobb did not participate. You know, he was one of the highest-graded PFF uh, players on PFF for the Packers last week. Played a pretty solid game. I think he had like 15 or 20 snaps. I can't remember the exact number of snaps. It wasn't like he was on the field constantly, but had a good game. He did not participate because of illness, so I would not be concerned with that at all. I would say he'll, he'll be ready to go on Sunday, no problem. Um, Elton Jenkins had limited participation, so that's good news. Alan Lazard, limited participation, so they're they're trying to nurse that ankle injury along. Mercedes Lewis, a growing injury, uh, limited particip- participation. I'm just going to start saying limited because my redneck third-grade uh, level English uh, self here can't handle uh, you know saying a three-syllable word, ever, evidently. But Christian Watson popped up on the injury list and he was uh on, on Wednesday practice was uh with a hamstring he was also limited so that one kind of caught me off guard a little bit obviously it's good news that it wasn't the knee but anytime you got hamstrings involved or in Mercedes Lewis's case uh, Groen's involved that sucks I mean that's that's a tough injury to nurse along also Sammy Watkins had a, uh, a hamstring injury that had him limited in Wednesday's practice. So just a few things to keep an eye on there. By the time you hear this podcast, if, if you didn't download it immediately, maybe you're listening a little bit later on Thursday afternoon, um, you, you may have an update on some of those, but that's how it sat on Wednesday. Now moving on to Tampa Bay, and there's quite a list here. you got Carlton Davis the third. He's a corner, had a hip injury. He was limited on Wednesday. Leonard Fournette, hamstring limited. Russell Gage, wide receiver, hamstring limited. Chris Goblin, hamstring, did not participate. Okay, I want to say that again. Chris Goblin, wide receiver, hamstring injury, did not participate. Now, also keep in mind, he had that knee injury, that ACL that he had been nursing along. So now you got a hammy kind of popping up. It's kind of weird, isn't it, that Christian Watson had that knee scoped this offseason. He's got a hamstring injury. Chris Goblin had an ACL repaired, and he's got a hamstring injury. So, um, you know, just a, a kind of a an interesting parallel there, I guess you could say. Uh, Robert Hainsey, uh, center, knee injury, limited. Uh, Akeem Hicks, defensive tackle, foot injury, did not participate. So you're probably not going to see Akeem Hicks the way it sits right now on Sunday. That would be my guess. Also, wide receiver Julio Jones, knee injury, did not participate. you got Zion McCollum. He's a cornerback, hamstring injury. He was full participation. Scotty Scoots Miller, calf injury, limited. 
Cade Cotton or Cade Otten, I should say, um, tied in. Uh, personal reasons did not participate. He'll probably be playing, I'm sure. Uh, Rashad Perriman, knee injury limited. And uh, Donovan Smith, tackle, elbow injury, did not participate. Now, I bring that up because, guys, you got on that injury list one, two, three, four, five wide receivers. And if I heard correctly, I should have fact-checked this before we went live, but I didn't, so just bear with me here. Um, I believe they went out and signed a wide receiver, Cole Beasley, if I understood correctly. So they are hurting at wide receiver. If I had to put money on it right now, I would say if I had to guess one way or another, will Chris Goblin play on Sunday, I would probably say no. Julio Jones, I would probably say no. Okay. Now, you're thinking, well, they got Mike Evans, right? Mike Evans is solid. <clears throat> Wrong. Mike Evans obviously got suspended one game for fighting Mar uh, Marshawn Lattimore um, in the game there against the Saints. Just want to give a tip to the cap and salute Latimer for uh, for uh, kind of triggering um, uh, triggering Mike Evans to get suspended. When we were chatting earlier today that, okay, they're going to appeal the suspension, I honestly felt like, okay, they're going to, they're just going to, you know, decrease it to a fine and Mike Evans will play. Well, from what I understand, the letter that came from John Runyon was talking about how Mike Evans, uh, you know, disrespected the game. He disrespected the sportsmanship aspect of the NFL, all that, blah, blah, blah. They did uphold that suspension. So, guys, they are without Mike Evans, their number one receiver. All right. That receiving core is completely depleted. Okay. This is great news for the Green Bay Packers. And the reason being is, and I'll get into the game plan here in a second. You know, the Buccaneers threw the ball all over the yard last year. I mean, absolutely threw the ball all over the yard. This year, they're running the ball a little bit more. But that, to me, what you're going to have with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is as one-dimensional version of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as we've seen in a long time. They are really going to lean on the run a lot. I mean, you're talking about, like I said, one, two, three, four, five, five receivers on the injury report, two of which are your, you know, two of your top three wide receivers, right? They're both most likely not going to play in the game on Sunday. And you've got your top receiver, Mike Evans, who isn't on this injury report, that's going to be missing the game against the Green Bay Packers. But again, like LaFleur said, this is a great football team. It's Tom Brady on the other side. You got Todd Bowles, who's one of the one of the best defensive minds in the game with that 34 blitz scheme. You cannot overlook Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't care how banged up they are, right? So that's something we've definitely um it, it's worth noting, and it's definitely something to build a game plan around, at least there in the first quarter, and assess the situation there in the second and third and see, okay, how did they adjust? But, uh, yeah, I'm really, really liking the Packers' chances the closer we get to this game. But I'm really – I'll feel a lot better if we look up on Friday or Saturday uh, – on Friday's status and it says, uh, you know, uh, Julio Jones out and Chris Godwin out. That would be absolutely awesome. So, with that being said, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we get back, we're going to dive into the game plan. We are going to put together a coach's game plan for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers – on Sunday afternoon's game there. And it should be the game of the week, I would imagine. It's going to be nationally televised. So, um, yeah, but like I said, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. We're going to go pay a few bills. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. 
Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so we're back. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's Packers at the Buccaneers, and this is a 325 Central, 425 Eastern kickoff at Tampa Bay. Probably going to be hot, I'm sure. I wanted to give you the weather report, but uh, I didn't get around to pulling up the Windows tab here. I don't want you to have to wait on me. Again, we're we're recording this straight through, no edits, so uh, we're just going to roll with it here. But Tampa Bay's record in 2021, this kind of caught me by surprise earlier when we were uh, uh, laying out the schedule and picking our wins and losses. Uh, I think it was Jacob and I that did that episode. I also did it with uh, Packers Without Borders guys. Um, but it surprised me that they won 13 games. I don't know why, but I was thinking that they only won like 11, 11 games or something, but they went 13 and four in 2021 guys. Their scoring offense was second in the entire national football league. They scored 30.1 points per game in 2021. Their scoring defense was just as good. They were ranked fifth and they only gave up 20.8 points per game. They were, they were averaging, uh, winning games by 10 points, a little less than 10 points every week. I mean, you're you're talking about a dominant offense last year and a very, very solid defense. I mean, a top five scoring defense. Now, their head coach, obviously Bruce Arians, for whatever reason, rumors say that Tom Brady had him run out of the out of the coaching booth there and put upstairs to do front office stuff. Um, he was on the sideline last week, which was really odd to see Bruce Arians running up and down the sideline, cussing out the refs and yelling at Saints players. And it's like, you're not even the head coach. You're not even on the coaching staff. Why are you on the field right now? But Todd Bowles takes over. Now, Todd Bowles was obviously the defensive coordinator last year. Um, he was a head coach for the New York Jets for a, for a little while. He's a guy that's really embraced that 30, 34 zone blitz scheme. And we'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute. Um, but he is your new head coach, right? So offensive coordinator is still Byron Lefwich, right? He was the offensive coordinator last year. So he is kind of this architect working hand-in-hand with Tom Brady with that number two scoring offense in the entire National Football League, right? And um, one thing that I noticed, especially going back and watching the Saints game, 
was they were very inside run heavy. I didn't see very many stretch plays, many outside plays, many power plays, right? I seen some misdirections that kind of made their way outside. But the majority of the plays, the running plays in this system was designed inside. That's definitely worth noting, okay? Um, Now, their run to pass ratio was they ran the ball 34% of the time last year in 2021. 34% of the time. Guys, that was the absolute lowest run rate in the entire NFL last year. So, obviously, they had the highest pass rate at 66%. They threw the ball more than any other team in the NFL last year, a 66% pass rate, okay? I think it was uh, in in two games this year, though, what you want to mention is two games so far this year, they've passed the ball, if if I counted correctly, 61 times, and they've ran it 63 times. So, they're actually running the ball more than they're passing this year. Now, it could come down to the fact that the Cowboys couldn't get out of their own way in week one. Obviously, Dak Prescott goes down and Cooper Rush comes in, didn't have a whole week of preparation. We kind of seen what Cooper Rush could do with a week's preparation, you know, playing against the Cincinnati Bengals last week. So it's not a knock on Cooper Rush. It's just, man, the whole game plan gets thrown thrown into the fire when you see your starting quarterback go down with that thumb injury, right? But still, the defense held Dallas to three points. Tampa... It's been playing from ahead quite a bit this year. Pretty much the entire, you know, the first two weeks they've played from ahead the majority of the time, if not every single minute. So they're in a position where they can run the ball more. Maybe that comes into play a little bit more, right? But as far as personnel, personnel is, you know, the personnel packages from the offense. Like, are there three wide receivers on the field the majority of the time? That type of thing, right? 11 personnel. They ran 11 personnel 69% of the time last year. And, and that's that's an ungodly amount, 69% of the time. They ran 12 personnel 22% of the time and 13 personnel 5% of the time, okay? And that's worth it's worth mentioning because in 11 personnel, that's going to trigger our nickel defense, right? Okay, I, with our nickel defense being on the field the majority of the time, that's why you're seeing the Packers give up a lot of uh, a lot of big runs, right? Their run defense has definitely been the weakness uh, from the Packers' standpoint. Um, 12 personnel, like I said, 22% of the time, that would trigger our base 34. And then that 13 personnel probably would trigger the base 34 look as well. So these teams have a lot of similarities as far as the front, right? And as far as, uh, you know, how the roster is built on the defensive side of the ball with both of us running a 34. However, our Vic Fangio style defense is way different than the Todd Bowles approach, which has over the years kind of trickled down from the Dick, Dick LeBeau days of Pittsburgh Steelers back in the early 90s when it was called Blitzburg. That's when the the zone blitz really came on the scene in the National Football League, okay? So that's kind of the cloth he's cut from. We're cut, you know, Joe Barry's cut from the Vic Fangio style, uh, cover four, cover three, rotation style, two on the shelf, keep everything in front of you. As where Todd Bowles' approach is, he really likes to blitz, okay? So, again, I just wanted to point out there, um, although last year it was 66% pass, 34% run. Um, this year they're actually running the ball a little bit more than they're passing, um, which is a, dr- a drastic change from last year, although they have played from ahead. That's probably the reason why. Now, they're very run inside heavy. When I watched this Saints game, I hardly ever seen them run the ball outside. The majority of it was right between the tackles. It was right in the A and B gap, right? So that's something that we've really – Really got to focus on this game. The safeties, Savage and Amos, have played like hot garbage in the run game so far in two weeks. We have got to get that cleaned up, especially if you're putting that safety in the box 
And I seen one play where Montgomery squirts through the inside. Savage tries to, or I'm sorry, Amos tries to dive at his ankles rather than getting his face in that gap and plugging the hole. He just kind of tries to play it safe and dive from the side, like he almost like he was avoiding contact. Lo and behold, he comes through the hole. Guys, we were three and a half seconds into this play, and Savage was still fading back as if it was a pass. Like these safeties are playing horrible. That's the reason that the defense struggled the little bit that they have. Now, I mention that because I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here, but if we get that aspect buttoned up with the way the rest of the defense is playing, the fact that we held the Bears to 10 points, right? And again, you, you're probably going, well, look what Minnesota did to us, right? 23 points. Well, you've got to think about this, guys. Was it, it was either 23 or 27. I don't have the numbers in front of me. 20-plus points. Guys, the majority of the big plays there came from blown coverages, and you guessed it, Savage and Amos, right in the middle of it. Those two guys have got to figure this out for us to win this game for sure. Now, on defense, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers – let me check time here. Yeah, we're good. Um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers – do not have a defensive coordinator to the best of my knowledge. You know, Todd Bowles was promoted to head coach from defensive coordinator, so they didn't fill that defensive coordinator spot. This is a Bill Belichick trick 101 right here. In the National Football League, um, if if a coach is to be hired from outside the building, it has to be a promotion. What I mean by that is a team can't come in – Let's take the Packers, for example. you got Joe Barry at defensive coordinator. Another team can't come in and offer him more money to be their defensive coordinator. It can't be a lateral hire. It has to be a promotion hire, okay, meaning he would have to be hired as a head coach in order for the Packers to be able to lose him. Now, what makes this so brilliant is they don't have a defensive coordinator. What they have, though, is their passing game coordinator, Larry Foote. So if someone comes along and says, I want to make Larry Foote my defensive coordinator, the Saints can then say, no, they can counter and go, well, we're going to promote him to our defensive coordinator position. Now you're starting to see that cat and mouse that goes on. That's why Bill Belichick has Matt Patricia and Joe Judge on their staff, right? Um, because and, – and they're not listed as an offensive or defensive coordinator. They're listed as assistants. If somebody tries to hire them, they'll just promote them to offensive or defensive coordinator or special teams coordinator, whatever it may be to prevent them from hiring. Not that anybody would because Matt Patricia and Joe Judge's stock is extremely low right now. That's not what I'm saying, okay? But I think it's funny that everybody made fun of New England, right? They were making fun of New England. They don't have an offensive coordinator. This offense is lost, blah, blah, blah. They go out last week. What they do? They beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Granted, I know it was without T.J. Watt, but they still beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh, okay? So that's – when I seen this, no defensive coordinator, that's the thought that triggered my mind figured it was worth bringing up but Larry Foote is their passing game coordinator um their their defensive passing game coordinator I guess you could say their pass defensive coordinator is probably the best way of saying it now Larry Foote was an inside linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers for uh, pretty much his entire career until the last year of his career when he went to Arizona I think he followed Wisenhunt from Pittsburgh out there to play inside linebacker this guy knows this 34 blitz zone blitz scheme inside and out. Now, when I say zone blitz scheme, that doesn't mean they just play zone all the time. There is man mixed in. But the base of this defense is 34 look with zone blitz concepts, okay? Um, Larry Foote being the inside linebacker, uh, you, really the best way to think about how this defense operates, and again, it was a long time ago, but things, things change, but the more things change, the more they stay the same too, right? A lot of this stuff just gets kind of regurgitated throughout the National Football League as far as concepts and principles, things like that. So um, think Green Bay Packers under Dom Capers. 
Now you're probably reacting one of two ways. You're either going, "Yeah, man, that was that was great in 2010 Super Bowl run there," right? Or you're probably going, "Man, that was some of the worst defense I've seen outside of 2010," <laughs> right? So I just want to mention that he, him being kind of the most advanced defensive coach on that staff, other than Todd Bowles, you're really going to get that heavy Pittsburgh um, 2000 2010s uh, look from this defense. Okay, it's worth mentioning. Um, they did blitz um, throughout Bowles' career from the time that he arrived in Tampa Bay. He has blitzed 23% of the snaps. That's very, very high. I think they said it was number three since he's been in Tampa Bay. He has blitzed the third most of any uh, defensive coordinator slash head coach, whatever you want to say, um, since he took over that position, you know, there in Tampa. So they blitz heavy, very, very blitz heavy defense. Now, what do we always talk about when we're game planning for another team? First, you break it down into, into three segments, guys. First quarter, it's all about assessment. When you look at the tape, when they look at the last two games and they go back to what Tampa put on film last year, they being the Green Bay Packer coaching staff, and you devise a game plan, that first quarter is all about assessment. Okay, It's all about, okay, here's what we thought they were going to do. Here was our game plan to attack it. Are they doing that? And I'm going to mention this on every single game planning episode we do because this is how the foot, the, the game of football in the NFL operates from a coaching standpoint and game planning for opponents. The first quarter is all about assessment. You've got to decide, are they doing what we thought they were going to do? Then when you get into the second and third quarter, it's all about adjusting. It's all about, okay, they did do what we did. All right, let's make a couple uh, tweaks here, maybe some some passing com uh, route combinations they're running, maybe the way they're attacking the running game, just a, a few slight tweaks and go at it. Or it's, man, they really caught us off, off guard here. They're not doing what we expected them to. Let's change up the game plan and make that adjustment throughout the second and third quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, it's a separate standalone game. Okay, this is Michael Lombardi 101. In that fourth quarter, it's a separate standalone game. The adjustments have been made. Now it's okay. Let's play this like a separate game. Here's all the information we have compiled. Let's adjust. And we've got 15 minutes to outscore them and make up the deficit or get into our four-minute offense as quick as possible because now your opponent becomes the clock. All right. So here's the game plan. That here's the questions in the first quarter. Here's the assessment. Here are the questions that I would be asking as the first quarter unfolds, okay? One, can you pressure Brady from inside with only four rushers? And the reason I say inside, it's funny, in week one with my game plan that I put together that was on the show, I said, you've got to put pressure in Kirk Cousins' face. You've got to push him, push the pocket back in his face. Make him get on the perimeter and make a play. That's not Kirk Cousins' game, right? Kirk Cousins likes to throw from within the well, right? Well, if you push that pocket back into him and make him slide left or right and get out on the pocket, get out of the pocket a bit, now he's uncomfortable and that's not where he plays his best ball, right? And that's that's how I said we should attack him. Now, unfortunately, the Packers lined up in two and three techniques with the defensive tackles and they had their their typical wide nine or their five techniques on the edge. It's like they were trying to attack the edge and you've seen it all game long. I mean, forget the fact that Justin Jefferson was running butt naked the whole game. All game long, Kirk Cousins was able to take his three-step, five-step drop, off-play action, whatever it is, step up in the pocket and deliver the football. That should never have happened. Now, 
fast forward to week two, or I should say rewind to week two, last week against the Bears. My game plan was don't try to rush in um, Justin Fields' face. Let's play rush contain on the outside. Let's keep him in the pocket, and let's make him play quarterback and throw from within the well, right? And they did that very well in my opinion. You didn't see him get on the perimeter much. When he ran a read option occasionally, you could see that Preston Smith's top priority, what was coached to him all week long, was you have to have great edge integrity. You've got to contain that edge, whether it's a read option or him getting out and scrambling, right? And then, of course, we also mentioned Quay Walker being a spy. Lo and behold, Quay Walker was spying, right? And that's that was kind of how the game plan unfolded. With Tom Brady – we need to back up and look at the Minnesota tape and go, all right, we need to scrap that pass rush and let's really push the inside of the pocket. Let's take away those throwing lanes. Let's make Brady slide left and right to deliver the football. Okay. Now, it's important to understand, like we said in the first two games, they're running the ball more than they're passing. So th- this just, to me, it, it plays perfectly into the game plan. What did I say earlier? When I watched the Saints tape, they ran inside very heavy. Great. Plug up the interior gaps and rush the quarterback along the way from the inside. I want to see our edge defenders, you know, maybe right before the ball snapped or I don't care if they they come out the whole time, line up. I want to see them more in a four tech. I want to see them really try to put pressure on the guards in the center and let's push that pocket right back into Brady's face on passing downs. I think that's something that's going to be very, very, very important. Right. that's something that really comes to mind. But the question again, can you pressure Brady from inside with four? If you can get pressure on him with a four-man rush and drop those extra into coverage or at least let them be freed up to play the run a little more a little more freely, then let's do that. Or let's run a couple of delay blitzes on the inside, what we call a quote-unquote run blitz, so you can plug up those interior gaps. I want Tampa Bay – to try to beat us running the ball outside of the tackles, and I want Brady to have to move off his spot the entire game. Right. Second question uh, on defense, from a defensive standpoint of stopping Tom Brady. Cheat your run defense inside. Are they willing to run outside? You've got to ask that question. By the end of the first quarter, you've got to know, are they willing to run outside or not? Did they adjust to us putting pressure on the inside uh, you know, the interior offensive lineman and trying to push that pocket back and taking away that inside run, right? And then number three, will Brady take shots with these receivers? We mentioned that Mike Evans is out of the game. We mentioned that Chris Goblin will most likely miss this game. We mentioned that Julio Jones, there's a great chance he misses this game. I think Chris Goblin's got the better chance of all of, of you know, of the two. Mike Evans is out. I think Chris Goblin has a better chance of playing than Julio Jones personally because it's just that knee that's bothered Julio for so long. But, again, if those three receivers aren't in the game, your top receivers become Scotty Miller. I know some of y'all had a flashback of Kevin King before halftime. and uh, I don't want to go there either, but Scotty Miller is no Mike Evans. Scotty Miller is no Chris Goblin. Scotty Miller isn't even a Julio Jones, right? Um, The other one is Brashard Perryman. Uh, Perryman has blazing speed. But he's a little bit undersized, if I remember correctly, as a receiver. I'm not worried about him. I'm not worried about Perriman, and I'm not worried about Scotty Miller beating Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes on the perimeter, especially with Russell Douglas in the slot, right? So let's see, will Brady take shots with these receivers? He took shots against the Saints and was very unsuccessful with it the majority of the game, right? 
So those are the three questions I have that we need answers to in the first quarter. Can you pressure Brady from in, inside with four? Uh, cheat your run defense inside. Can you do that? And are, are they willing to adjust and run outside? And will Brady take shots with these receivers? Those are the three questions. Let's move over to the offensive side of the ball from the Packers standpoint. All right. From the offensive game plan, here's the, the, the two questions or the three questions I have. Can we run outside against this 34 defense? The, the beautiful thing about a 34 run defensive front, okay, is it – it's typically very successful at stopping the inside run game. The difference between a 4-3 and a 3-4, a 43 obviously has two defensive ends, two defensive tackles, right? And they're designed to have one gap. They're designed to play one gap. You've got three linebackers behind them to clean everything up. In a 34 defense, the defensive linemen are much larger, okay? But basically, every defensive lineman in a 34 defense is, is big enough to play defensive tackle in a 43. Okay, so look at it that way. And their gap assignments are there to control two gaps. Their job isn't to make the tackle. In a 34 defensive front against the run, more specifically an inside run, it's to occupy two gaps. It's for the nose to control both the A-gap left and the A-gap right. It's for the defensive end to control the B-gap left, the B-gap right, and so on and so forth. Okay, so that's the difference there. So the question I have is, um, in their 34 defensive front, are we able to run outside? We are an outside zone scheme. That's what we do. Let's test that right off the bat. Not only do we want to test that with our running backs, but let's also test that with Christian Watson on the jet sweeps, right? And, you know, Christian Watson, Aaron Jones, whoever on the pot pass, right, the touch passes that we seen the touchdown we broke down in Chalk Talk last week. Let's see if we can – Challenge the edges and Levante David. He has good sideline to sideline speed. You know he's one of the one of the better linebackers at covering sideline to sideline in the running game. But let's let's stress them. Let's stress them horizontally right off the bat, and that way we can have a, an answer to that question at the end of the first quarter. Can we run outside against this thirty-four? The other thing is, can you protect with five guys? Can we protect Aaron Rodgers with just five offensive linemen? And the reason I ask that is because we want to be able to turn those tight ends loose in the pass patterns. When you play a zone defense, and more specifically a zone blitz defense, wherever they blitz from, there's going to be a void, right? And typically those fire zone blitzes are designed to, if you blitz from somewhere, another defender is dropping in there. Aaron has played against the zone, played against the zone blitz very, very well throughout the entire the, the duration of his career. You know, I think the year that we won the Super Bowl. The third down, um, the third third down conversion uh, completion rate for Aaron Rodgers was just like through the charts. He he was breaking records on completing third downs, converting third downs, and the number was even higher against the blitz. That's what he played really really well at. Okay, so I think this plays into the Packers' hands very well. When you got Cobb in the slot, when you got a healthy Lazard, if that ankle is completely healthy this week, I think that we can utilize them in a way that we might be able to get away with a five-man protection. Now, they got Shaquille Barrett. That's worth mentioning. Their best pass rusher is hands down Shaquille Barrett. So let's locate Shaquille Barrett, and let's just try to block with five on passing situations. Now, the number one key, though, is run the freaking rock. We've got to run the we've got to run the ball and try to stretch them horizontally, and let's see if we can get away with protecting Aaron with just five guys. Now, 
the the last question that we need to have answered by the end of the first quarter is are the backers biting on play action and is that opening up the intermediate routes because one thing about it in a zone blitz heavy scheme if you if they if they do come out and blitz 23% of the time which has been the average from Todd Bowles' style defense if they are blitzing a lot, there's going to be voids in the backside, but also you're going to have DBs botting on the play action if indeed you do establish the run early. Now, we have got to establish the run early, but we've got to have that, that question answered. Are the backers botting on play actions? Is that opening up intermediate routes? Now, obviously, as we step into the second and third quarter, it's going to be all about adjusting to those three questions, okay? I'm not going to read them off again. I gave you three on offense, three on defense, Let's get the answers to those questions. Let's make the proper adjustments. And then, guys, as we step into the fourth quarter, it's going to be thank player, not play. That's what it always is, Pat Kerwin 101. When the game is on the line, thank player, not play. As you step into this fourth quarter, which, like Michael Lombardi says, is a separate ball game, thank player, not play. Who are our best players on offense? The answer is going to be the same all year long until Christian Watson emerges as some superstar, until Romeo Dobbs really steps up and it's like, wow, okay, we got us something there. Lazard's a solid number one. I believe that with everything in me when he's healthy. But until they prove that they can be legit threats down the field, our top players, our top weapons are our backfield. It is that pony package. It is that pony personnel. It is the movement the pre-snap movement, the RPO aspect, all that melding together, and it's all around our running backs. We turned Aaron Jones loose against the Bears, and you've seen what Aaron Jones did against the Bears. Now, we still gave a heavy dose of A.J. Dillon, and it was 16 carries for like 70 yards, whatever it was. It was it was kind of a low uh, yards per carry, especially compared to Aaron Jones, who's averaging right at nine yards per carry, right? But one thing, like Aaron mentioned, when you run A.J. Dillon, especially between the tackles, you're throwing haymakers all game long. You're beating this defensive line. You're beating this linebacker core up all game long. You get A.J. Dillon on the perimeter in one of these outside stretch runs, which they tend to like to run him inside a lot more than outside. But you get him on the edge and let him take a pop at Antoine Winfield. I want to see him coming free and this schematics – you know, free up a blocker to where A.J. Dillon's coming off the edge and he's staring Antoine Winfield Jr. down, you know, man-to-man, just A.J. Dillon against Winfield, and I want A.J. Dillon to clean his freaking clock. I want these DBs to, to, to realize real early in this game that we're not playing the freaking New Orleans Saints. We're not playing Jameis Winston, who's going to, uh, you know, contribute to them turning the ball over five times in one freaking game and still only losing by 10 points. We're going to pound the rock, and these DBs are going to have to put their heads down and tackle. I want to see A.J. Dillon hit the hole against Levante David. I want to see some of these these uh, these outside zone runs and how creative that Matt LaFleur has gotten with Buckus and the offensive, you know, the offensive line coach Buckus and freeing up Josh Myers to get to the second level. I want to see Josh Myers in Levante David's face all day long. That's what I want to see in this running game. Let's pound the freaking rock and take advantage of the fact that they won't have their big play, Mike Evans. They the, Gronk is long gone, boys. Gronk's on a beach somewhere. And now you've got Goblin potentially out, Julio Jones potentially not playing. Let's pound the freaking rock and put some pressure on Brady. Let's get revenge for those last however many losses it was that Tom Brady squeaked out those wins, right? Now's the time to do that. So as we wrap up here, the game plan. Here is the final game plan on offense. This is what I'm saying in the team meeting if I'm Matt LaFleur. Once again, guys, same as last week, 
We are not going to make the same mistake we made against Minnesota. We're going to capitalize off the momentum we created against Chicago. We are going to run freaking heavy. Guys, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' lowest grade on defense, if I remember correctly, looking at their PFF grades, was their run defense at a 56.4. You're starting to see how the stars are aligning here. Their run defense is low. Now, we mentioned last week on the pod that Greg Cosell is pointing out the fact that teams are willing to give up the run and not give up the big play, right? That's that's kind of what I talked about with Green Bay's run defense last week struggling is it seems like that's the trend in the National Football League. Once again, I don't agree with it, but those coaches know a lot more than I do. I promise you that. I'm I'm not a pimple on a, on a bull's rear end compared to the football knowledge that they have. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, again, run heavy, though. 56.4 run defense last week. That was their run defense <clears throat> against the New Orleans Saints. And somehow or another, Jameis Winston was still throwing the ball all over the yard and, and literally putting it right back into Tampa Bay's hands. Aaron Rodgers is not going to make that mistake. We got the bad game out of the way. He's going to protect the football moving forward. I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes the year again with you know five or less interceptions. That's just how A-Rod plays. All right, number two on offense. Take what passes are given underneath. Because when you're attacking a zone defense, guys, especially a zone blitz defense, what you want to do is overload those zones, okay? You don't want to spread things out. You want to use those bunch formations, those trio formations that we talked about, right, that we've seen, you know, every single Chalk Talk segment, it seems like that we break down, it's a trio bunch set, right? Use those, create a spacing technique, a spacing route combination to overload these zones, and let Aaron just throw freaking darts in the passing game. I'm not saying it should be pass heavy. I'm saying when he does pass, that should be the approach. Take what passes are given underneath. When I was watching the second time through of this Saints game with the Bucs, one thing Jameis Winston did do good until he started throwing the ball to the other team and trying to take shots was he was picking them apart underneath. I mean, there were, there were guys open. Now, they got to the ball quick and made tackles. That's how this defense works. Bend but don't break, zone blitz, and try to stop the run. But there's going to be underneath routes open. When they're there and you're passing the ball, freaking take it. Don't try to get greedy. Manage the game. Let them make the mistakes. They don't have their home run hitters. Let's play the long game here. Run the rock and take what the defense gives us. And the other thing is protect the football. Guys, New Orleans had five turnovers. Tampa Bay won the turnover differential battle 5-1, to one, and they only, lost, they only won by 10 points. So the Saints turned the ball over five times in one game. If I understood correctly, I think Jameis Winston threw four interceptions in the second half, and they had a fumble loss as well there throughout the course of the game. Guys, we're not turning the ball over five five times on Sunday, not with Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback, not with Matt LaFleur as the head coach. So if we win the turnover differential battle and them without their heavy hitters and we pound the freaking rock on them, and we really lean and lean and lean on this defense throughout the course of the game, I think we're going to be sitting pretty, right? They have great DBs, right, and always have eyes on Shaq Barrett. That's the one pass rusher. Vita Vey is a good interior lineman, but until he shows that he's at that level this year, we've really, really got to put the focus on Shaquille Barrett. Find out where he's at. Whoever's blocking him, give them help, and let – Aaron, pick them apart underneath. That should be the game plan there on offense. Let's switch over to defense. Once again, there's no Mike Evans. There's possibly no Godwin, possibly no Julio Jones. Force Tom Brady to take shots. If there was ever a game 
where you're going to be aggressive underneath on short and intermediate routes. This is the game to do it. Now, again, play with a heavy box and try to take away the run. We've got to do something with this run defense, guys. If they decide to run the ball like they have already this year, they could have a big day because it's no secret. Green Bay's run defense is freaking struggling right now. Load the box. Help that help that defensive front out against the run, right? And with a heavy box, provide inside pressure. Let's push that pocket back into Tom Brady's face, make him slide left and right. And that's another thing, too. If he's having to move out of the pocket, it's going to be a lot more difficult than him stepping up in the pocket to deliver that deep bomb. Let's be aggressive underneath. Let's make Tom Brady beat us over the top with this mediocre uh, wide receiver core with uh, with the suspension and the injuries. I think that's going to be very, very, very crucial. Now, here's the other thing. We talk about pre- and post-snap sugar all the time. You know, Sugar is basically you disguising the look that you're bringing to the table on defense. Okay, you're showing one thing and doing another on defense. You're showing blitz, but you're dropping out in the coverage. You're you're showing coverage and you're bringing the blitz. You're showing a four high look. You're rolling, you know, multiples into the box. You only got a single high look. Those type of things. Listen, this is Tom Brady. This is going to be like trying to beat a neurosurgeon at at tic tac toe. It ain't going to freaking happen. Don't worry about pre snap sugar. You can't fool Tom Brady. Play within the position. Make sure your guys are not late getting to their spots, <clears throat> Darnell Savage, and forget the pre-snap sugar, get in position early, play your defense, take the underneath stuff away, push the pocket back into Brady's face, take away the interior rush lanes because they like to run inside. And again, all these questions are going to be answered in the first quarter. All right? We've got to get those answers quick, make the adjustments, and move on. But again, it always comes down to turnover differential and middle eight. Aaron is as good as anybody at that. Tom Brady's one of the best, too. But that's what the game's going to come down to, guys. I think at the end of the day, this is going to come down to a field goal, even with those players missing. Now, I may look up in the fourth quarter, and we've got a 17-point lead, and you can bet your bottom dollar I'm going to be dancing around the studio here. It's going to happen. But I personally expect this to be three points or less kind of game. It's going to come down to special teams and protecting the football. Some of y'all are cringing right now. But I'm telling you right now, special teams is getting buttoned up. And somebody needs to uh, make sure that they're uh, they're doing the, the proper due diligence and 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 thanking Rich Passaccia because it's slowly getting fixed. Not huge strides yet. I'm going to play a quick clip. We're going to get you guys out of here. This was really, really cool. I thought this was awesome. This is Larry McCarron on uh, Three Guys with Three Things. Wes, Wes Hogwitz actually shared this on Twitter, but I'm going to play it real quick. Check this out, what Larry McCarron said about Rich Passaccia and his special teams. Guys, Packers special teams are showing signs of life, and it all starts with Rich Passaccia. And today I saw him doing a drill I've never seen before. He's working with Pat O'Donnell on holding, and Pat O'Donnell is a very, very experienced holder, and yet they're working on it. And what Rich did, he gets on a knee. He's playing center, but he gets on a knee and then takes the football and takes it like a a fast-pitch softball guy and just wings it at him. I mean, a mile a minute. And, you know, and he's only, what is that, seven yards away? Just does that, but it's not one at a time. He lines up a bunch of balls or has them handed to him, and it's it's like a machine gun. It's like a jugs machine, a human jugs machine, and those balls are coming back, and they're not all on target. And you talk about a very clever way to improve a guy's reactions and hands. 
I mean, it was something else. Never seen it before. Rich Passaccia leading the way on special teams. And that's three. Love it. Love it. Rich Passaccia is thinking outside of the box. Rich Passaccia is doing whatever it takes to fix the special teams. And I'm here for it. Great hire by Matt LaFleur. Great job them going out and throwing the book at Rich Passaccia. You're slowly starting to see the special teams come along. Holding has not been an issue, has it not? Punting has been one of the one of the great points so far for the Green Bay Packers in this early season, this young season here. Pat O'Donnell, great signing. That was all Rich Passaccia. We were talking about Dallin Levitt playing special teams. That was all Rich Passaccia. Um, things are really starting to come together. In a close game that I'm predicting be three points or less down in Tampa, even minus those weapons, it's going to come down to turnover differential, middle eight, and special teams winning this ball game. So thank goodness that Larry McCarron uh, gave me a, a little bit extra faith there in Rich Passaccia. I hate the fact that his pinky's hanging like a freaking beanie weenie, but it is what it is. Got to love the rock. Larry McCarron all those years with the Packers, holding it down in the 80s when it was just not a whole lot to root for with the Packers. But the fans stayed faithful, and uh, Larry McCarron's one of the best at calling games. I love him in the broadcast booth there with uh, with Wayne Larravee. They're just they're hands down my favorite broadcast team across all sports, and it's not even close. But love what he said there about Rich Passaccia. So, guys, that's the game plan. I hope you enjoyed this. I know it was a little long winded, but that was a fun one to break down. I really feel like we got a shot again. I picked this as a loss earlier in the year. I don't think you could have uh, predicted how things have unfolded, you know, if it was in Green Bay, I would feel real comfortable going, nope, Packers are winning this game. But it's in Tampa. It's in that heat. It's Tom Brady. You can never write him off. As much as I hate, I love to hate on him, Tom Brady is Tom Brady. He's the GOAT for a reason, right? But let's do this. Let's go down to Tampa and let's lay a thumping on those guys. Let's let them know. Whether we come out win, lose, or draw, let's let them know they've been in a freaking dogfight. And we do that by pounding the rock, and let's get some pressure in Tom Brady's face. I want Kenny Clark harassing Tom Brady all day long from the interior. I want to see this be the week that Quay Walker fires some of those dog blitzes from the A-gap. I want them to push that pocket back to where Leonard Fournette doesn't have a, a lane to run in, and Tom Brady, uh, you know, can't step up in the pocket and he's just taking licks all day long. So that's the game plan guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Uh, we certainly appreciate you taking time. You could be anywhere in the world and you're choosing to, to listen to our podcast. We really, really appreciate it. So as always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go pack. Go. Third down, to go. Good meter. 17 to 14. Cowboys out in front.